Our scripture passage is Matthew 28. Matthew 28. I asked Josh in the council room how long church is in Uganda, and he said two to two and a half hours, so we have at least an hour that we can go yet. So, Matthew 28, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Let's stand together as we hear God's word read for us this Easter morning. Familiar words. Maybe we should just say them together, right? Maybe a lot of us learned them in school. Why don't, why don't we say them together? After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now that I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. God's holy word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and study it freely here this morning. Father, we know that your words are the words of life. And we pray that you would help each and every one of us live by them this morning. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. In June of 1815, General Wellington and the British... We're fighting Napoleon and the French in the Battle of Waterloo. In those days, of course, transmitting a, uh, a message from the front lines was much more difficult than it is today. And so in order to give a report from the battlefield, uh, a sailing ship would relay the news to England. He would, he would sail within sight of the Westminster Cathedral in West, or excuse me, Winchester Cathedral in Winchester, England. Uh, and then by means of a semaphore, which is a signal using hands and flags, I think. You can Google it on Wikipedia. That's all I found. Um, he, he signals the message to a person standing on the top of the Winchester Cathedral. So, so the man on the ship would signal the message to the man at the top of the cathedral. The man at the top of the cathedral would signal the message to a man standing 
on the top of a hill some distance away, and so on and so forth. And by this, this means, the news from the front lines would be relayed throughout London and then eventually throughout all of England. Well, when the ship came in, the signalman on board the ship, he semaphored that first word, however he would have done it. And the first word was, was Wellington. I'm guessing he spelled it out, right? sort of like Morse code. Wellington. The next word he signaled was defeated. And then fog came down. And the ship could not be seen. So the message that went throughout England was Wellington defeated. And as you can imagine, the people of England sunk into gloom and despair. After a few hours, though, the, the fog lifted. And the man on top of the Winchester Cathedral, he looked out again at the ship. And the signaler once again went through the motions. And he again spelled out Wellington. And he again spelled out defeated. But he didn't stop. He then spelled out the words, the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy. That was the message. That was the news from the front lines. And as this news was relayed throughout England, as you can imagine, gloom was replaced with joy. Something similar happens in the last two chapters of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 27, Jesus dies. And as his body is laid in the tomb, despair and gloom set in. It seems that all is lost. Sin and death and Satan have triumphed. But then three days later, as we turn the page to Matthew 28, what happens? The fog lifts and the rest of the message is seen. Jesus died and rose again. And just like in the days of Wellington, that last detail makes all the difference. For it means the enemy has not prevailed. Sin and death and the devil do not have the last word. They've been defeated once and for all. Indeed, what more can we say about this truth but hallelujah, Christ Arose. I just want to get lost in the resurrection story for a few minutes with you this morning. Our text begins with these words. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week. It's important to notice that with these words, Matthew roots the resurrection of Jesus in history. It's not once upon a time, but it's after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week. This event, like Jesus' entire life, from the moment of his birth, in the days of Caesar Augustus, this is, this is rooted in history. This is something that happened, really, in a time and in a place. Boys and girls, this is also, of course, why we worship on Sunday. For years, God's people worshipped on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath day. Saturday was the day God set apart at creation as being holy, right? But we worship on Sunday. This is the reason, because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. 
The Saturday Sabbath pointed back to God's work of creation. The Sunday Sabbath, if we can call it that, points to God's work of new creation in Christ. That's why if you look through the New Testament, we see this this pattern of God's people gathering on the first day of the week because of the resurrection of Jesus. Anyway, what happened uh, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week? Well, we're told Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Mary Magdalene was the last person at the cross. She was the last person at the tomb after Jesus' body was laid in it. And now she is the first person there again on this morning after the Sabbath. Certainly we could all use a little Magdalene fidelity in our relationship with Christ. Late at night, early in the morning, on the cross, give me Jesus. That was Mary Magdalene. And her faithfulness to Christ, well, it's, it's rewarded, isn't it? What happens when she and the other Mary come to look at the tomb? Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. Earthquakes throughout Scripture, they accompany manifestations of God's presence. At Sinai, there's an earthquake. At Mount Horeb, when God meets Moses, there's an earthquake. When Jesus dies, there's an earthquake. Here again, there's an earthquake. Something big is happening. But there's not only an earthquake, there's also an angel of the Lord who comes down from heaven and goes to the tomb and rolls back the stone and sits on it. As if, to, as if to say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The angel's actions here are pretty much a taunt. As if to say, the grave? That old thing? Matthew tells us his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they And became like dead men. I love what Matthew Henry says. The resurrection of Christ as it is the joy of his friends. So is it the terror and confusion of his enemies. That will prove even more true as the gospel in the New Testament goes on. The risen Christ is not a comfort to those who oppose him. And so people will go and do everything they can to try and suppress the the truth of the resurrection. They'll try and make up stories that his body was stolen. They'll persecute those who proclaim his name. They'll do anything to to try and make themselves believe that Jesus is not alive. His resurrection is a terror to those who oppose him. But to those who are his friends. To those who love him and trust him, as as Mary Magdalene did and as this other Mary did. His resurrection is what? It's, It's the best news ever. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. It's true that the women and the disciples were absolutely shocked when they encountered the resurrected Jesus. But it wasn't for lack of warning, was it? 
Jesus had, Jesus had predicted this. He had, he had said this would happen numerous times. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now that might have been a little bit cryptic. We can maybe see how they didn't get that at the time. But in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19, this is what Jesus says. We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Those are Jesus' words. There's nothing cryptic about that. It It wasn't for lack of warning. Jesus had predicted his own resurrection. Of course, the prophets before him did as well. But even his closest friends, they they didn't understand. They didn't get it. And so when Jesus writes again, they're shocked. Isn't that how we are? Think about it, Christian. Someday, someday, you are going to be in heaven. And when you get there, you are going to be utterly astounded by heaven. You're going to be so astounded by heaven that you are going to wonder why you held on so tightly to this life. But at the same time, it's not for lack of warning, is it? What does scripture say? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. It's going to be exceedingly wonderful, yes. It's going to be glorious beyond words, just as he said. We are very much like these women and the disciples. We are slow on the spiritual uptake. These promises that God has made us in Christ, we we hear them, but we don't even come close to fully grasping their implications. The angel that invites the women to go and See for themselves, right? Come and see the place where he lay. Go. I'm not, don't just take my word for it. Go, go see the place where he lay. You won't find his body. And for the record, this is why the angel rolled back the stone. It wasn't to let Jesus out. It's not as if, it's not as if Jesus was alive in the tomb, you know, just twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the stone to be rolled away so he could, he could walk out. But Jesus here is already gone. That's pretty... And the fact that the gospel writers say nothing to us about the actual resurrection, I think, just testifies to the sheer holiness of the resurrection. There are some things that are just too much for us. It's like looking into the ark. You just, you can't do it. It's too much for you. The resurrection is like that. The angel is not rolling back the stone to let Jesus out. He's rolling back the stone to let the women and all of us with them in and to investigate the matter for ourselves and to say, no, you're right. He's not here. The angel then gives instructions to the women. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And he is going on ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The angel's job is done. He's shared the news. Now I've told you. It's up to the women now to go and do their part. And what is their part? It's go and tell. Go and tell. Those are the first instructions given to those who've discovered the resurrection of Jesus. Go and tell. This isn't to be a a secret resurrection. 
It's not something the women are to keep to themselves. The angel doesn't say, I'm going to tell you something really remarkable, but you can't tell anybody. You've got, you got to keep it on the down low. Just keep this between us. No, he says, go and tell. And these, these instructions, they, they carry on throughout the New Testament, don't they? And actually, we know that these instructions, they ring down through history. We are still people today who are called to go and tell. We are still people today who... who are called to live on mission and to bring the glad tidings of the risen Christ to the world. We're reminded with the Shardis here today that's of something we've said in church here the last few months, and it actually arose out of council. But as a church, you know, we want to have a part in sending the gospel across the world and through Josh and Mandy. And Co-Cref as well, you know, we, we do have a part in that, and we're grateful for you guys' work and the opportunity we have to, to partner with you in that, and it's because of you that we can say that. And we want to have a, have a part in bringing the gospel across the country, and we have a partnership with the Church of California, so we can, we can kind of do that as well, and then we say, well, we want to, we want to bring, bring the gospel across the state, and that kind of arose out of a partnership we have with some folks at, at Grand Valley, but then eventually we said, yeah, and, and we also want to bring the gospel across the street. And that's your job. That is, that is your job, right? This is your mission field, and this is my mission field. This is where God has called us to serve now. This is the place. If you live here, you're a member of this church, you worship, this is the place you are to go and tell. I want to keep putting that before you, right? Across the world, across the country, across the state, across the street. That last part is yours. The women respond in obedience, don't they? Matthew tells us the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. You've got to love their eagerness. You've also got to love that a description of their emotions, right? Afraid yet filled with joy. That seems perfectly appropriate. I mean, how, how couldn't they be afraid? The earthquake, the angel, the stone, the empty tomb, these are not ordinary, everyday, familiar things. Now, these are things that I think would have made any one of us here this morning also a bit frightened. But at the same time, they're filled with joy, and that too is appropriate, because for crying out loud, they just heard the best news ever. Jesus is alive. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Being afraid and filled with joy, that seems perfectly appropriate right here. Take those feelings you had on your wedding day, maybe, or, or those feelings you had after the birth of your first child. Put that on steroids. You're getting into the world of what these two women were experiencing at this moment. Afraid. Terrified, actually. This is terrifying, but it's super exciting. At the same time, something happens before the women make it to the disciples. Jesus meets them, and isn't this just like Jesus? I mean, the promise that these women got from the angel was, hey, go to Galilee, you're going to see him there. They hardly make their way from the graveyard, and they see Jesus. Just reminded of, this is the God of leftovers, right? This is the God who always gives us more, even. And in an abundance. They were promised Galilee. They didn't even have to wait till Galilee. 
Jesus came and he met them. No sooner did they leave the cemetery. There's a good lesson for us, I think, here. These, these women are simply being obedient in all this, aren't they? They're going to tell the disciples as the angel instructed them to do. And where do they meet Jesus? They meet Jesus along the path of obedience. Matthew Henry, again, he must have been real good on the resurrection. God's gracious visits usually meet us in the way of duty. And to those who use what they have for others' benefit, more shall be given. That's how it works. It's those who set out to serve the Lord in obedience, who often find themselves encountering the risen Christ and being overwhelmed by God's presence and by God's person. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in John 14, 21. He says just this thing, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one that loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and I will show myself to him. If you keep my commands, I will show myself to you. That's what Jesus says. That's exactly what happens to the women here. They're carrying on in obedience and and Jesus shows himself to them. And then we have these first words of Jesus. What would you say? I don't even, even, that's probably not even good to think of. What would you, you just rose from the dead. I'd be like, <laughs> right? Maybe someday I will be, I don't know. Who knows? Don't, let's forget about me. Jesus says greetings. <laughs> greetings. The Greek word behind this is, is kairete. It's a word that is still common today as Greek street greeting. Some have said that the English equivalent of this word is Hi. Hi? Hi! Frederick Dale Bruner says, Well, hi is no great message from the other side of the grave. It is so human that it almost tells us enough. It tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus may be much more. But he is nothing less than the real human being he was before death. It tells us that Jesus is still Jesus and that he is still friendly. And human with his own. Hi. Matthew tells us how the women respond. They don't just say hi back, and that's probably good. They come to him, they clasp his feet, and they worship him. What else can you do in the presence of the one who died for your sins on the cross and then rose in triumph three days later? There's nothing else you can do for one like that but worship. But do what these women did. And I love it. We gather here on Easter. And that first song we sing, Christ the Lord. And it's just like, if you're in the front, it's like, you guys are worshiping. That's what you're supposed to do. After this, we're going to sing, Alleluia, Christ arose. And we're going to do it again. I can't wait. In fact, I might just end so we can do it. Because I love that song. It's the proper response to the risen Christ. Jesus then repeats the instructions that the angel gave to the women. He says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He repeats the instructions, but you should notice there is one little change. The angel said, go and tell his disciples. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. That is very significant. We need to think about the last time we, we saw the disciples. It was in Gethsemane, and it wasn't pretty. Jesus and the disciples, they went to Gethsemane after eating the Last Supper. 
He wanted his disciples to keep watch while he went further into the garden and prayed. Three times he returned from praying. What did he find? He found his disciples asleep. He said, come on, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? One hour! Then a group of men, they came to arrest Jesus. And the last thing we read about the disciples is in Matthew 26, 56. They all deserted him and fled. Peter did make an appearance, actually, between then and now. We saw him disown the Lord Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know the man were his exact words. The woman, they, the women, they stuck by him. They remained faithful. But that's the last we've seen of the disciples. They went down like a dead firework. I was going to say a blaze of glory. It was not a blaze of glory. It's one of those fireworks that goes up. And, maybe that's not even right. You get it. But you think after all that, upon rising from the dead, Jesus would have some choice words for his companions. You think he now would be the one to say, whoa, I don't know them. They have nothing to do with me. But that's not at all the case. Instead, he calls them my brothers. What mercy. What grace. What forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. Who is it that Jesus calls his brothers or his, or his sisters? Clearly it's not those who've, who've exemplified some significant level of faithfulness to him, is it? No, it's simply those for whom he died on the cross. <laughs> those are the people he calls his brothers and his sisters. That is the gospel. Has he died for you? When you look at the cross, do you say, do you say that's my sin upon his shoulders? That's my sin that's, that's being atoned for there? Has he died for you? The answer is yes, then he calls you brother. He calls you sister. You know, friends, I struggle to preach on Easter. I feel like I need to say something fresh and profound. I think, actually, Josh and Mandy did that very well for me, so thank you. You've showed us the power of new life in Christ. And we're grateful for that. But you feel this pressure as a preacher, and I'm not the only one who feels it, because I, I talk to other preachers. We all, we all feel we need to say something fresh and profound. But the fact is, nothing more fresh or profound can be said than what God himself said when he raised Jesus from the dead. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ is conquered. And for all who believe in him, for all who confess their sins and profess Jesus as their Lord and God, there is forgiveness. And there is new life. And there is victory over the grave. In the words of the angel, now I have told you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. For the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is pledged to us in it. The promise of new life that is afforded to us by it. And the hope of the resurrection that is granted to us through it. 
Father, bless us this morning. Fill our hearts with praise to you. And help us to go and tell. For Jesus' sake. face toward you and grant you his peace.